Hello, and welcome to SED, SOS Care's Autism and Intellectual Disability Dialogues, a podcast series that delves into the diverse and ever-evolving world of autism and intellectual disabilities. I'm your host, Paula Katar, and together we'll embark on a journey of exploration, education, and empowerment. Autism, a neurodevelopmental disorder that affects millions of individuals worldwide, is a topic that demands our attention, understanding, and compassion. In starting this podcast, we're aiming to shed light on the experiences, challenges, and triumphs of those living with autism, as well as the remarkable people that advocate for them. Over the course of this series, we hope to bring you enlightening conversations with a range of voices, including families supporting a loved one with an intellectual disability, officials and advocates helping to shape policies, authorities and experts in the field, as well as individuals on the autism spectrum themselves. By delving into these diverse perspectives, we hope to foster a deeper understanding of autism, dismantling stereotypes and replacing them with the tapestry of human stories. Our goal is to create a space where listeners can gain insights into the lived experiences of individuals on the autism spectrum, appreciate the tireless efforts of families, and recognize the vital role that support systems play in shaping a more inclusive society. Through these heartfelt conversations, we'll explore the triumphs and challenges faced by families navigating daily life, the legislative initiatives that impact the community, and the innovative programs and services offered by organizations in our neighborhood, and perhaps yours as well. We'll uncover stories of resilience, creativity, and achievements that defy expectations, celebrating the unique strengths and contributions of our greater understanding overall. By shedding light on the realities of autism and intellectual disabilities, as well as highlighting the work being done to promote inclusion and acceptance, we hope to inspire change, spark conversation, and foster a greater sense of empathy and support for these individuals and families. So, join us as we embark on this discussion, exploring this multifaceted community. Together, we'll deepen our understanding, challenge our preconceptions, and work towards a society that values neurodiversity. Welcome to SED. Hello and welcome back to SED, SOS Care's Autism and Intellectual Disabilities Dialogues. My name is Paula Katar and I'm your host today and we have an exciting third episode. We're featuring a conversation with Sarah Pope, who is SOS Care's CEO. Sarah has more than 20 years of experience across two different countries, and she has an excellent overview of the challenges and rewards of working in this field across the Carolinas. She can speak to and does uh, regarding several challenges that we face as an organization, that families may face navigating services that they find across our state, and some of the hopes that we have moving forward. I hope you enjoy the conversation as much as I did. So today we have Sarah Pope, and we are here to discuss part of the history, part of the context, and a good introduction to SOS Care. Sarah, can you introduce yourself, please? Yes, I am Sarah Pope, and I am the CEO of SOS Care and Oak Tree Farm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, how, what is your origin story with finding SOS Care? Do you have a story of how you arrived at the agency, arrived at the organization? Yes. Um, and when was that? That was, oh, probably 20 years ago, I was actually a board member of SOS Healthcare back in the day, and I served on the board for probably five years. Okay. And how has your role changed in that time? I mean, because obviously the SOS care today of today doesn't resemble the SOS Healthcare 
of previous years. What role did you have in that? What did that look like? What were you there for? What changes? Yeah. So, you know, back in the day, this was, well, it started a long time before I got there, 1989, when the board was founded by Dr. Bill Davis. Yeah. So really, they were doing community need surveys, or he was. He was really a one-man show, had a board, but he did most of the work himself. He would look in the community, see what the needs were, do surveys and assessments, and then whenever the need was, he created a program, got funding, and made something happen. So addressing AIDS and diabetes and uh, healthcare that people couldn't afford, things like that. Sure. And then he would actually create a new nonprofit for that program and spin it off and let people go run that on their own. Um, But then his granddaughter was diagnosed with autism. And I was on the board and he knew that was my job and my role and my life. And so we started talking about what do we do in the community to start helping people with autism specifically. And so that's when we started planning our first program, which was an ABA clinic that we ran out of um, Surfside Beach. Sure. And since that time, in what ways has SOS chair, uh, I'm sorry, SOS care changed? I'm sure it's dramatic, but what are some of the ways that you initially kind of pivoted from just ABA therapy into other programs? Well, I think initially it was quite overwhelming to walk into an organization as, you know, the new director, we had um, very little money in the bank. I wasn't sure how we were going to keep the doors open, really, uh, more than once. And um, But the needs of families um, were so huge. And as a mom of two boys with autism at the time, I knew, you know, the needs for families were just sometimes you can't figure out what you're going to do next. And sure. I knew I needed to help in that area. And so... I had been part of another nonprofit and we were trying to merge the two nonprofits together so that we could bring some of the programs over that we had created already, which was a summer camp program and Project Lifesaver. Sure. And so that was sort of the beginning of moving over those two initiatives, um, as well as some employment training. Mm -hmm. We had just started really dabbling in that and the other nonprofit. So we merged them over to SOS and started becoming one organization. And so we went from ABA clinic with, I think we had seven children. This was our entire program. (laughs) And then we added summer camp, which was in our office while we were working. Um, for about 15 children. Wow. And then that was really all we had. I think we had four or five kids in Project Lifesaver as we added that. Yeah. And fast forward to today. Yeah, fast forward to today. I mean, you know, as we kept doing surveys and finding out what people needed and knowing what people needed based on my own children's experience in the world and all of the families I was sort of growing up with that Mm -hmm. had kids with disabilities, we knew we had to grow a lot of things. And so finding 
sustainable income sources and opportunities that would allow us to, you know, be able to maintain buildings so we could have people come and uh, finding grant funding. We'd never really, since my, since I started at SOS, I'd never been in the grant business. I mean, sure. so I had to learn how to write grants and find money and that's hard to do when you've never done that. Yeah. So, you know, really had to learn how to run programs. Mm -hmm. I was the only staff person except for the finance manager. Sure. So there was two of us. And so I had to run the programs and try and figure out how we were going to get from A to Z. Yeah. Um, pretty quickly because there just wasn't enough for all of the people that we wanted to be able to support. Sure. Yeah, that, that sounds like a good synopsis. Um, you and I have talked and I've talked with others as far as our area of South Carolina, the Grand Strand, so surrounding Orion, Georgetown counties, everything from, say, Myrtle Beach down to, say, Charleston. We've had a good handled snapshot of services that we can help, that we can provide. Um, what do you think that there's still room for improvement of within our area, but also perhaps even across South Carolina? I think there's always so much room for improvement <laughs> and, uh, and not necessarily with our programs. Mm -hmm. I think that we have done an amazing job because we have amazing people that work at SOS that are dedicated to their specialty in their field. Sure. Um, they do great things every day and people make progress and you know, any progress is progress. So I love that we've been able to bring all of these people with all of these amazing credentials to our team to put these programs together that didn't exist. Sure. And, you know, where are the gaps now? I mean, we don't have enough room. We never have enough room. So space is always an issue for us. Mm -hmm. We can do our programs anywhere. We could serve and support lots of other people, sure. but we don't have enough room. Yeah. And so, you know, with more money and more room, we can do more things. And so I, I think we're always looking at what comes next and specifically in the Charleston area right now, what comes next mm -hmm. as we look at how are we going to help with housing in the Charleston area I'm already seeing in the data that's coming in the survey that people are looking for a transition program okay. for people to move from, you know, high school to how do I live independently? Sure. And we don't have that there yet. Okay. And so as I'm thinking about that, um, obviously I need a space that has room to do that, mm -hmm. that is in a place where people can get to because... Charleston's a lot more challenging with traffic <laughs> and getting around. Sure. But that's an absolute need that's already glaring from the survey that we yeah. just sort of completed. So, and Can you speak about that survey, what that looks like, what it means? Yeah. So the market study has been, um, it really confirms a lot of things that we thought we already knew, mm -hmm. but we wanted to hear from families sure. that have a person with a disability and we wanted to hear from people with disabilities themselves. Mm -hmm. The market study tells us where do people really want to live? Sure. How do they want to live? One of the things they need to be able to live in those situations. And 
And all of that information is from them personally, from yeah. people here in South Carolina that we are asking the questions. Sure. It's not from the feds and what the feds say we should do. Sure. It's not <laughs> from an agency that tells us what we should do. Yeah. Um, it's from people that are telling us clearly what they want. Yeah. And, you know, the data definitely has some trends, which we will reveal at our leadership meeting sure. in August, uh, because we're still collecting that information. But very important for people to have a voice in um, what we're doing as mm -hmm. we plan for future, you know, residential housing options. Um, everyone wants to have a choice about where and how they live. Sure. And, and so do people with disabilities. Yeah. And, and I think that survey in particular is interesting because I think as a culture nowadays, we're used to kind of word of mouth communication. Oh, I know a family member or I know a family down the street or in my community that has a son or a daughter with a disability. But it's, it's both information from an authority. It's from the person themselves, from their own experience, for their mm -hmm. own lived experience in providing support and services. And it's also quantitative. So we're able to bring that forward both to our um, local and state governments and say, well, here are some direct from the person examples mm -hmm. of the services that they need, the gaps that they feel in their community and ways in which that you could assist them. Yeah. So I think that's pretty remarkable. I think it is too. And, you know, we partnered with um, First Place Arizona. They've already done a study mm -hmm. in Arizona, in Phoenix. And there's a study in Utah. Okay. And then we were next. And so we were very excited that we got to be part of this project that's really starting to grow across the country. Yeah. Um, because our goal is to be leaders in housing. Sure. Um, we've figured out how to find funding uh, for a particular model, mm -hmm. which we're building in Conway, South Carolina. And, you know, we would like to be able to expand to meet the needs of some of the other people that have some other ideas about how they want to live. And so, you know, I think as a, as a visionary, um, I like to look at all of this information and start to think about how do we get from here where we are now sure. to the place where people are really asking for the end result. And so that's, we're sort of in that process right now. Sure. Speaking of housing, you're talking about Oak Tree Farm. So it's the low-income housing development that we're constructing in Conway. Can you talk a little about, about its origins and how we kind of understood that housing was a need in our neck of the woods? Yeah, absolutely. So I think... You know, when you start working with adults um, with disabilities, which we did several years ago, we um, we started bringing adults to our programs and saying, we're going to help you with employment and we're going to help you be more independent and we're going to help you figure out recreation and how to spend your time. And we did all of that. And at the end of the day, you know, everyone is still going home to their mom and dad who are aging and no one's talking about housing. Yeah. Nobody in the country is really talking about housing or solutions for people with disabilities. And so we brought some people together around the table and we had some conversations about, you know, have you ever talked about living by yourself one day? Sure. Have you ever talked about what's going to happen if your parents are not here to help you? 
And, you know, we had some visuals and we showed people townhouses and we showed people, you know, this is what it looks like when you live in town. This is out of town. These are different ways mm -hmm. to live. And pretty much the conversation was we want to live with our friends. Yeah. And I was like, well, okay. It'd be much easier for me to go buy some townhouses and figure out how to bring supports to people. But they said, we don't want to live with people we don't know. We want to live with people who know us, who sure. like us, who we're friends with and we feel comfortable with. Yeah. And we don't want to live with someone that we don't know. And we don't want to live in a place where we don't feel safe with neighbors. Yeah. And there became the dream. Um, and we literally brought some people together called the dream team. And the dream team came up with some ideas mm -hmm. and ended up long story short, buying this land in Conway and um, sort of scratching our heads and saying, <laughs> how do we ever figure out how we're going to build this neighborhood? Sure. And then here we are, you know, three apartment buildings in construction and a community center, and we're applying for other funding right now. Um, and we're more than halfway. Yeah. So... Anything is possible. Quite literally. Yes. Yeah. And, and if you asked any individual who's aligned to move in, they would, they would assume the same kind of like moonshot story. Like my end goal one day was to live by myself. I didn't know how it was going to happen, yeah. but I, I had faith in my heart that I would get there. And again, running parallel to their story is ours. Yeah. To wanting to support them on the other side of that equation. Yeah, so it's, absolutely. It's wonderful. And also speaking to their need of, they want to live surrounded by people that share same aspects of their story. Yeah, absolutely. So there's that innate conversation that's already settled. Like, yes. I, know, I know who you are. Yeah. I know what your, what your background has been like. We've, we, we could start the same story the same I way. I agree. They are a big family and they have made connections that, are priceless, yeah. you know, and for families, um, to have hope and a place and, a end of their story of, Oh, my adult who's sure. been living with me my whole life, who I didn't know who I was going to care for, um, is going to live independently. And that's just such a massive weight off of caregivers uh, to know that they're going to be settled somewhere. They're going to have challenges. It's going to be difficult. There'll sure. be rocky roads. There'll be bad days. There'll be fantastic days, but there's a plan and everybody needs a plan. Yeah. You know, aging caregivers should not have to think that they're going to live in their house with someone in their family that has a disability forever and ever and ever. We can't take care of people for an ever and ever. We yeah. just cannot. We get old. Yeah. And we can't, t we can't do that. Yeah. So there has to be an ending for people. And I think when you look around the country at the massive amount of caregivers that have no happy ending story, um, that's just, it's just sad and it's just wrong. And we, we have to do something yeah. about that. As much as people themselves deserve to ex explore that 
developmental goal of moving out of your family. Absolutely. Having their first apartment, making friendships Absolutely. that way. Fa- families deserve that same degree of hope. They, they deserve to have their child move out. I to totally agree. That. And as scary as it is, and it will be a very teary day when they move in. <laughs> Happy tears and very anxious tears yeah. and sad tears, all of them. But it will be a fantastic beginning for people that are so excited about taking this new journey. And um, just from seeing the people that already live at Oak Tree Farm, Mm -hmm. you know, initially we were going to have a staff person work with them, sort of live there and be there. And and we decided not to do that. Mm -hmm. And I am so glad we decided not to do that. Sure. Because they have made decisions on their own that they would never have made if we had someone there helping them make all of the decisions. And so I think that the more hands-off we can be, Mm -hmm. um, the more they discover things about themselves that they're able to solve. And and when they do that, they grow in confidence and they try more new things and it just begets more and more and more. So I, um, I love watching that. About yeah. the people that are already at Oak Tree Farm. Yep. Earning independence uh, is honing that same voice of resolve that everyone yes. has. And it's it's growth. It's as much as you might need to exercise a muscle, you yep. have to exercise independence and advocacy and yes. autonomy. So giving them the freedom to do that for themselves allowed them to grow faster than had someone been in their ear the entire time. Yeah, I agree. A hundred percent. Yes. So it's going to be interesting to have 72 residents moving in November. Um, And, you know, we're going to have some interesting days, I'm sure, sure, as we all get used to this new way of living. Um, But they've trained. They've been in programs where they're preparing. And you know this so well because they've spent so much time with you and other staff that we have at SOS Mm -hmm. preparing as much as we can for all of the things that we need to try and teach them. Sure. You know, there's going to be life that happens that we don't know how to teach until it happens. We'll be teaching in the moment, but they're prepared with so many skills that I think it's going to be a huge success. Yeah. We're going to have a lot of happiness and a lot of great outcomes to tell people about from a model that really it isn't, very uh, high in existence across the country. It's Correct. a pretty new way of doing things. Yeah. And so, you know, we're learning as we're doing it, but we're also risk takers at SOS. Sure. And, you know, we believe that we're going to have great outcomes and um, we believe that we'll be able to help a lot of other people because people are going to embrace this kind of neighborhood and way of living And we'll be able to replicate that in other places, not just in South Carolina, but as we help people across the country. Yep. Everyone deserves to be on the same shared adventure. So everyone, please crib our answers, steal our best thoughts. Absolutely. We want to share them. Yes. There's no ego in hogging this, babe. We want to share with everyone. So, yeah. Um, So as we discuss programs, as we discuss Oak Tree Farm, where else do you see SOS Care in kind of in the shared space across South Carolina moving forward and in, in, within like the next two to five years, where do you think, in what other ways do you think we might be helping families, individuals, our community? 
I personally think there's a lot of legislative work to be done. And so I'm spending, um, I'm going to be spending a lot more time in that area. Um, if people don't understand our needs, um, we're not going to get what we need. Sure. And so I think moving together um, with a voice that uh, we're all singing from the same sheet of music would be super helpful. I think as we free up families from being caretakers every day, mm -hmm. they're going to be able to help us more in the advocacy world. And, you know, legislators need to hear from us. They need to see the results of our data. They need to know when it, why we're not getting, you know, the services that we need, sure. why we had to create our own neighborhood because nobody is really looking out for who's going to care for all of these people with disabilities. And, you know, in South Carolina, people are moving here constantly. Yeah. And they're moving here with people with disabilities. Yeah. Um, so we are going to have to help figure out how we're going to take care of all of those people as well. So there's funding that's needed. Mm -hmm. There are services that are needed. There is changes to the antiquated system that already exists throughout government agencies. Sure. Um, and that takes a lot of work and it takes a lot of meeting with people and sharing stories and our self advocates doing the amazing work they do sharing their stories. And I think as we continue to do that, we move ourselves up the food chain. And mm -hmm. um, as far as how important we are, people with disabilities have not been important. Correct. And, you know, now that we're helping people advocate, um, and they're sharing their voice, there's so much that people need to listen to and learn from. And that's going to help us shape the future of what happens in South Carolina. Sure. So, you know, the 29,000 people on the waiver wait list to be able to get services at home has to change. Uh, the funding that's designated for any kind of residential care has to change. Uh, people that work with people with disabilities, their pay has to change. Yeah. So all of those things are advocacy issues that we need families talking about with legislators. And we need more money. We need more money to care for the tsunami of people that are now aging out of school and have no programs to go to. Yeah. So there's going to be a huge focus on that for the next two to five years as we try and solve you know, some of these issues for families so that we can look at housing, building more housing, putting the supports in place that people need when they cannot live independently. Sure. Uh, we have a lot of people that are not going to be able to live in a model of totally independent. We need people that are going to come and care for and help support people that need 24-7 care. Mm -hmm. We need to build places like that that have great teams of highly educated staff that um, are paid well, sure. that want to stay that want to run programs like that. And um, I think we'll end up being a model in the state for that too, uh, because that's just how we do our work at SOS. Yeah, and to your point, I mean, sadly, there's a long history of people with disabilities being out of the limelight, being minimized, put in the corner of the room. So it makes complete sense that if you're out of sight, you're out of mind. So, Absolutely. you know, it, it makes sense in states to where there isn't a strong uh, advocative sense 
of sticking up for people that need some assistance, both monetarily in funding, but also in in presence, in self-advocating, in, in ensuring that they're at the table in the conversation. Mm-hmm. It makes sense that we move into that that space. So that's that's wonderful to hear. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely where we need to be. You know, the Olmstead plan has to happen and the waiver list has to be reduced. And those are massive issues that have to be tackled. Sure. And, you know, we have other agencies that are trying to work on some of those things, but together, uh, you see how our self-advocates work <laughs> and they go to the state house and we've helped them prepare to be able to talk to very important people sure. that make changes. And I think as we continue to build our community um, of people with disabilities, uh, that self-advocacy piece is huge. Hearing from the people with disabilities is so important for legislators. And I can talk all day. Uh, from my children and for the people we support, but hearing from people with disabilities is a complete game changer. Yeah. And so as we continue to train them to come and speak with us, um, I think that that's where the power will come from. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Um, if you had any advice that you might give to someone arriving in state, uh, someone that's moving to the area, retiring with, with an adult with disabilities, what advice would you give to them? It's going to be a challenge. So, I mean, coming here and, you know, SOS is a leader in providing services, uh, but we have, you know, we're limited to with funding and room and all of the things I talked about earlier. Uh, We don't have state funding for adult programs, so that's a challenge. Um, All of our programs are run from donations, foundations, and grants. Um, so I think when you're moving here, you have to be very careful making a decision. I mean, if you are a person that's receiving amazing services in another state, I would be very careful about moving here Sure. because when you get here, you are going to the bottom of the food chain. That's just the reality of the situation. Yeah. You know, SOS in this area is going to do whatever we can to help. Um, and we can provide some services, but you know, you're not going to shoot to the top of the list for a a waiver. Sure. You're going to be 29,001 on the list and the list is for 15 years for most people. And so if you're looking to get supports and services at home, uh, you're going to be waiting a very long time. And so I think you have to weigh very heavily. Mm -hmm. This is a great area to live in for lots of reasons, sure. but it is not a great area to live in if you're looking for amazing supports when you move right in uh, with a person with a disability. It's very difficult to find the things you need. Okay. Um, SOS is going to do everything they can to help. Um, so yes, come to us. We are going to help you, but the other agencies are probably not going to help you sure. for a very long time. Um, do you have any final thoughts, any other thoughts as far as ways in which people can get out there and help themselves, help our community in, in pairing with adults with disabilities? Well, I mean, there's so many needs and I think, you know, we've worked very hard on being included Mm -hmm. in the community. Um, everywhere you go, you see people with disabilities in our area and, um, that's huge progress. So 
you know, we need people that employ people with disabilities. We need people that are innovative, that have great ideas that they want to bring to the table that might be something we can do to help. We look for partners that collaborate, whether they're churches or businesses, people that want to donate, people that want to have an event and donate the money to one of our, you know, 15 programs. Um, we are always looking to partner with people. Sure. Um, so, you know, donations are very helpful, but volunteers are also very helpful for yeah. events. Being on a fundraising committee, for example, is, is a massive, um, bonus for us. If you've got some skill set that can be helpful in any of the things that we do, yeah. we need you. You know, if you are looking for employment, uh, we currently have 75 staff. We're always growing. We're looking for talent. We're looking for people that have innovative ideas for programming. You know, if you're that person, come talk to us as well. So we're growing sort of in every area that mm -hmm. you can really think of. If you're an advocate, come and talk to us too. If you're connected to another organization that we can work with in any way, um, but include us. We want to be included in the community. We want to come to the mall. We want to work at stores. We want to work in restaurants and businesses and we want to be able to be comfortable when we're out at events. Um, if you have questions about people with disabilities, we're happy to talk with you. We're happy to have you talk with self-advocates about what it's like living with a disability because you know, we want people to be comfortable accepting us as we accept others that are different as well. Sure. So inclusion is huge. Yeah, that's incredible. That's great feedback. Um, I wanted to thank you for your time today. This has been a wonderful conversation. And I think a lot of people listening will be able to get, get a good slice as far as what SOS Care stands for and the ways in which that we try to help other people. Uh, Sarah, thank you so much. Well, thank you, Paul. <laughs> Take care. Thank you again for joining us at SED, SOS Care's Autism and Intellectual Disability Dialogues. This episode number three was produced, engineered, and recorded by myself, Paula Guitar. We hope you enjoyed the episode and look forward to your return.